Uh, if you brought your Bible, and I hope that you have, turn with me uh, back in the Old Testament to First Chronicles. First Chronicles, that's one, it's easy to get that confused with Corinthians, which is in the New Testament, uh, but this is way back there in the Old Testament, First Chronicles. You got First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, and then First and Second Chronicles. And so, First Chronicles chapter 22, um, really, chapter 21, 22, probably all the way through 26, all fits together here. I'm just going to read the first few verses in chapter 22 and just try to share with you a few thoughts and, and, and make a point here this morning. Uh, what I believe the Lord would have me to. First Chronicles chapter 22 verse 1 says, Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of the burnt offering for Israel. And David commanded to gather together the strangers that were in the land of Israel, and he set masons to hew <coughs> wrought stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails, for the doors of the gates, and for the joinings in brass in abundance without weight. Also cedar trees in abundance for the uh, Zidonians. And they of Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. All right, let's pray together. Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just um, humbly come before you here this morning. We thank you, Lord, for the good day and for the many blessings. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity you've given us to gather here this morning. We thank you for this church, for our, our church family. We thank you, Lord, for uh, each one. Lord, we thank you for the roof you put over our head, the nation that we live in, the freedom that we have. We thank you, Lord. I thank you for the things that I see you doing. Uh, maybe it's not obvious to everyone yet, but I feel like I see you moving. And Lord, I thank you and praise you for that, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, for, uh, Lord, just uh, your goodness and your mercy and your grace. And I thank you most of all for your son, Jesus, Lord God, that you sent him and gave him so that we might have life and have that life abundantly and eternally, Lord God. Lord, we can't do enough to thank you. We can't do enough to repay you. Not in a million years could we do enough. But Lord, you knew that and you've done it anyways. And so Lord, let us always have praise and glory on our lips for you and for you alone because you are the only one who is worthy of our worship, who is worthy of our praise and glory, of all of our praise and glory. And Lord, I just pray as we go forward here this morning, Lord, you know the hearts of each one that is here. There's nothing that is hidden from you. There's nothing that is uh, a surprise to you. There's no mistakes here. And so, Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, that you would just move in a mighty way. Lord, that you'd have your way and your will in our midst, in our service, in our hearts, in our lives. God, you know where we have fallen short. And Lord, I pray that you'd convict us of our sins. Lord, bring it to our attention so we can repent of it, Lord, uh, uh, so that nothing would come between us and you, nothing would hinder our worship, our fellowship, our walk with you, so that it could be so sweet because there's nothing in the way, nothing to make it bitter, nothing to, to stain it or, or detain it. And so, Lord, I just pray right now, Lord, just have your way and your will in our worship service here this morning. Uh, do what only you can do, and we'll give you all the glory for it. And, Lord, I need your help. I can't do it without you. 
I can't preach unless you give it to me. I got nothing even worth saying unless you, unless you give it to me to say. So, Lord, I'm just asking right now, Lord, that you'd clear my mind of everything but your message, your thoughts, your words. Place on my tongue the very words you'd have me to speak here this morning, and I'll be sure and give you every bit of the glory for it. Lord, I'm asking for your anointing, for your holy unction. I'm asking, Lord, that you would just, uh, your presence would be known and felt, and you'd fill me full of your spirit, and God, you would just move in a mighty way, and we'll give you all the glory. We love you, we worship you, we praise your holy name. And we ask it all in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen. You know, for a big part of my life, I mean like growing up as a, as a, teen, you know, as a kid and a teenager and even a young adult, I might not have been 100% sure what I was going to be, but I was pretty sure I wasn't going to be a carpenter. As it's turned out, as I've got older and, you know, come along in life and circumstances of life has, you know, kind of pushed me in certain directions, I've, I've, I've turned out to be able to carpenter a little bit. Uh, I've, I've, you know, can, could build. I, you know, I, I don't think I'd have any problem building my own house or anything like that. I've done the addition on my house. And, you know, so, so life has changed things. But I'll tell you, maybe some of the things that really made a difference is when I began, you know, to discover easier ways to do things. What I'm trying to get at here is driving nails. As a, <clears throat> I can remember helping my dad and then building stuff myself. I was always trying to build something. I can remember me and, and my best friend at the time, which lived down the street, us thinking that we were going to be trappers and building them, them box rabbit gums and things like that, you know. And, man, every time everything I set out to do, you know, I'd go to drive nails, I'd smash my fingers. I'm not, ex I'm not exaggerating here one bit or whatever. I just couldn't hit the head of a nail to save my life, as the saying goes. I'd hit it once in a while, but I'd hit all around it, too, you know. I just did not naturally have, I guess that's a hand-eye coordination, that, that ambidextry, that whatever the right word is there, it just did not come natural to me, and I felt like it wasn't something that I could learn. I think the only reason I've been able to carpenter and build as I've got older is I've discovered things like deck screws. Right, I'll just soon screw something together as, as nail it together. And then nail guns. Man, if you're doing a lot, nail gun, that's the only way to go. Forget that driving a nail thing. But I discovered something interesting. That's the reason I'm telling you this. I was about, I think I was 15 years old. I have always, from the time I can remember of starting to think about working and making money and doing things like that, I've always been looking for a little something extra, right? Another way, an easier, I don't know if easier is the right word because it seems like most of the things I've done have been hard, not easy. But I, I'm in my mind, I'm thinking an easy way, maybe better <coughs> is the right word. A better way to make a little more money, right? Make a little something on the side that might turn into something a whole lot more than that. When I was 15 years old, I was working at the feed store. Now, that wasn't my first job. It was actually my second job. I'd started whenever I was 14, working in the summer for my neighbor who was a bricklayer. And uh, anyways, and then when I turned 15, uh, of course, I was raised on a beef farm. 
And anyways, and we'd go in the feed store from time to time. And the guy that owned the feed store, Bo Morrison, he just, I guess he took a liking to me or whatever, but he sought me out and he, he asked about me coming and working there after school and on Saturdays. And so I jumped right on that. And uh, anyways, in the process of that, of course, I met new people, made more friends, and got kind of connected with this guy that had a dairy and, and got set up with him raising bottle calves. And that was going to be, that was my thing. You know, I was going to be a big-time farmer, and I was starting with bottle calves, right? That's what was in my mind. Well, I was building more, I was expanding and, and building more pens. And you got to understand now for a second, um, I know now... Because I see, and, and you know, there's some really nice calf hutches you can buy, pre-made stuff or stuff that you can put together. But you got to understand, I was 15 years old. I was raised up, uh, you know, Dad never got rid of nothing. And we used it over and over and over again, you know, just found and made do and pilfered through and, and found something that you could, you could manufacture, engineer, whatever, make work, make do. That's the way everything was done. That's the way all of my calf pins was, I mean, they look like third world calf pins, but they, but they worked. You know what I'm saying? And I just made do and, and fixed and whatever, and I was expanding and I was working and I was, felt like I was pushed up against the deadline, so I had to get this done. And I'm, and I'm anyways, I'm, I'm working and I'm trying to nail, hammer nails and, you know, build and expand and anything, and I discovered something that evening once it got dark enough that I couldn't see I could hit them nails every time now the moral of my story is not just rare back close your eyes and let her swing that might not work out good for you okay but that's what I discovered that night I thought about that and the Lord brought that back to my mind as I was reading the scriptures here in 1 Chronicles chapter 22. And in verse 3, it points out that God needed some nails. Right? And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails. For the nails, for the doors, and for the gates. Now these guys, I'm sure, was a lot better carpenter than I was, and they didn't need to close their eyes in order to hit their nail I, 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 I'm, I'm sure of that. But I got to thinking about that, and I got to thinking about nails and how, how you use nails to put things together. And I got to thinking about how God uses nails to put some things together. Here we're talking about the, the temple, right? What has happened here is David has it in his mind, King David, right? Uh, he has it in his mind to build house for God. Right, he's wanting to. He's, he 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 just doesn't think it's right here that him and the rest of Israel they're they're living in houses that are built built houses that they have built. Right, the, the built the house that is built it, it, it symbolizes stability. They're no longer nomadic. They're no longer moving around. They are established. Here it is. They are in the promised land. It is a land that God has given them. They've they they've got they've set up shop. They've got the house set up. Everything is nice. David is, lives in a very nice house at this point, right? And, and so, anyways, but he looks at he looks at it, and it's in his mind. God still lives in a tent. Now, that's the tabernacle, and that's kind of a, a, I don't know. I don't know what the right word I'm looking for here is, but that's kind of, 
kind of a simple way to put it, but really that's what the tabernacle was, was a really nice tent, a really fancy tent. And he had it in his heart that David thought, I said, I've built myself a house. Why haven't I built God a house? So that's, he has it in his heart, he has it in his mind to build the temple, to build something like the world has never seen before something like it has never been done before. So he sets out and he's planning and he's figuring and God speaks to him. And God tells him that he's a man of, of, of I believe the scripture says abundant blood. In other words, he, he, is a, he is a man of war. He is a man with blood on his hands. Uh, and God said, not you. Right? He's been a man of violence. I mean, a lot of it's been in the name of God. A lot of it's been doing the will of God, but he still, I mean, that's just, he's a man of violence. And God says it's a man of peace that needs to build this. And he said, so it's your son, you're going to have a son named Solomon. And it's going to be through Solomon. That's why we refer to it as Solomon's temple. But David did something, right? David still had the mind to build this house, and God had stopped him from building this house. So what David did, David got all the work, all the preparing that he could to get it ready for Solomon to build, right? He is, he is recruiting laborers, masons. I mean, the rocks are being cut. He, he's importing lumber, right? There is iron that is coming. They're making the nails because they, they were going to have to have nails. Nails to hang them gates and those doors and those hinges. Nails was what was, was going to be needed to hold some things together. And so the house of God was going to at least a few nails and I just I kept thinking about that and I thought God why I mean we know these things are going to be have to be fastened together why did you mention nails specifically there is so many other small incidental things that's used in building that you could have mentioned that you didn't but you mentioned nails And I begin to think, that, you know what? Some things just require nails. Even today when we're building, I like to use deck screws still yet, but you can't use deck screws to put shingles on your roof. There's still some things that require nails. I believe the Bible teaches... that not only did God need some nails to build his temple, right, to attach the doors and the gates to the temple, but I believe the Bible teaches us that to build the church, now I'm not just talking about this physical building, obviously there's a lot of nails in this physical building, but you realize the Bible teaches us that you and I, right, we're the body of Christ, we are the church. And in order to build the church, it's a spiritual house. It's not a physical house. But in order to build that spiritual house, God had to use some nails also. God had to use some, You ever thought about that? God had to use some nails. The, the first thing, and let me just go through some of the nails that God had to use. The first thing was the nail in the sign. Did you ever think about that? 
Sister Ruby read to you a passage of scripture here this morning. It's actually, now I picked it from John for a reason, but it's actually recorded in all four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that Pontius Pilate had a sign nailed to the top of Christ's cross. There was a nail that held that sign there, and that sign had to be there. Right? And so anyways, uh, this was this nail that held this sign to the top of Jesus' cross of crucifixion. Right? I mean, so Pilate had this sign made. And, and, and what is this sign? It is a proclamation. Right? It's a proclamation to the whole world saying that Jesus is king of the Jews. Did you hear Sister Ruby when she read that? It was written in Latin, uh, Hebrew, and Greek. It was written in all three of those languages. King of the Jews, right? The chief leaders, right? The, the chief priests, the religious folks, they, they didn't like it. They wanted Pilate to change the sign and, and say that it says that he, you know, he said that he was the king of Jews, right? In other words, saying this was his accusation and this is why we crucified him. Pilate said, no, what I've written, I have written. King of the Jews. If you're in my Bible study class, we began to talk about that uh, this last Wednesday. How that's the key to the, you know, one of the, the thing that Matthew was getting at, right, was that Jesus was king of the Jews. I preached last Sunday morning, and the wise men, when they showed up there in Jerusalem looking for Jesus, they'd found the star. They said, where is he born king of the Jews? Now, it's hard to know when we go back to Pontius Pilate for a minute, it's hard to know exactly what was going through Pilate's mind when he wrote his sign. Was he sincere in this proclamation? Was he just relieved to have found um, and eliminated what appeared to be a potential threat to Rome? Right? If there's all of a sudden one that's coming up leading an insurrection, leading a rebellion, claiming he is the true king of the Jews, that's a threat to Rome. And the only thing that Rome cared about was peace. That's why they let the Jews, uh, you know, uh, practice their own religion and stuff. They wanted to keep them happy. They wanted peace. As a matter of fact, Pontius Pilate's uh, livelihood, if not his life, was on the line. If he couldn't keep the peace, they would get rid of him and replace him with somebody else who would. So was he sincere in his proclamation? Did he really believe that Jesus was the king of the Jews? Was he just glad that he'd found and eliminated this threat to Rome? And that's why he put on here, you know, here, here's the king of the Jews, dead, crucified on this cross. Or more likely, probably, he's just being sarcastic. He's trying to humiliate the Jews. You know, you think you're something... Here is your king crucified on this cross, helpless. Regardless of what Pontius Pilate's reasoning was, listen to me. It was the sovereign will of God for the sign to be nailed to that cross declaring that Jesus, who Jesus was to the entire world. 
right? That was a proclamation to the entire world, right? We had the announcement with the birth in the beginning. We had the guys coming and looking that knew he was, right? We go through, and as we go through Matthew in our class, you're going to see over and over again, right, the hints at in a few places where Jesus acknowledges who he is. But here is the official proclamation written, right, ordered and written by the governor of the Roman Empire for that area, declaring, proclaiming to the world, here is the king of the Jews. And as I mentioned, it was written in three different languages so that the whole world could read it. You see this right here, this first nail that God had to use to build the church. It's the one that held the sign on the cross that officially proclaimed, that was the official public announcement that Jesus is king to the entire world. And then when I think about nails that God had to use, well, we're talking about Jesus, and we're talking about that cross, right? One nail is used for the proclamation. There's three more that's used for the punishment. Right? They used three nails when they nailed Jesus to the cross. Now, listen to me. It was undeserved. It was innocent. I mean, Jesus was innocent. Not the act wasn't innocent. But Jesus was innocent. He's the only one to have never sinned. Right? You and I deserved it. You and I should have been nailed to that cross, but not Jesus, right? But it was the punishment, right? And it was not the punishment that he deserved. It's the punishment that we deserve. Even Pilate himself twice, right? In John's gospel, you can read it in in John 18, 38 and in John 19, 4. Both times, Pilate says that he could find no fault in Jesus. He tried every way in the world to release Jesus to the people, and they would not have it. And the thing is, Jesus freely accepted the punishment, right? Uh, And that punishment was not his punishment, that was our punishment. And he freely accepted it. John chapter 10, verse 18 says, No man taketh it, Jesus is speaking, he said, No man taketh it from me. But I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. It wasn't really the nails that held him there, right? It was his desire, it was his will. I've heard it said so many times it was was the love of God. Listen to me. This scene, what has happened here, absolutely unforgettable. Keep that in mind for a minute. And here is something else about all of this. Jesus appears later, right? Remember when he appears to Thomas later in John chapter 20, verse 27, it says that he said to John, or I mean, to Jesus said to Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. He's talking about the nail holes in them. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side. That's where he was pierced. And be not faithless, but believe him. Even with a glorified body, right? This is the perfect heavenly body that he has now as after his resurrection. Jesus chose to keep the wounds in his hands and the wound in his side. Jesus, as I said a while ago, he did not deserve to die on the cross. That was you and I's lot. Right? We're the ones that deserve 
to die on the cross wasn't for his sins. It was for our sins. And I said a minute ago it was unforgettable. I'm telling you right now, we should never forget it. We should never forget that he bore our punishment, our sins. Those are our wounds, our wounds that was done for us. So that's four nails that he needed so far to build the church. Let me give you one more nail that he needed to put this thing together. That's the nail that was in sin, right? We've talked about the nail that was used for the proclamation, the nails that were used for the punishment, and now the nail that's in sin, right? That's the one that's for our pardon. If you turn to Colossians, over there in the New Testament, Colossians, I want to read a few verses to you. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. Well, let me back up to verse 12. Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through faith, through the faith of the operation of God, who has raised him from the dead. Right? Talking about raised Christ from the dead. Verse 13, and you, right, that's me and you, being dead in your sins, in the uncircumcision of your flesh, flesh has he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. You thought about all of what is said there? I mean... I, I was always taught that whenever you're digging into a passage of Scripture, you, you need to find the, the, the what, the who, and the where. So let's do that real quick, the what, the who, and the where. What are we talking about here? Well, verse 13 says all trespasses, right? That means every time you've broken God's law, right? That means all of your sins, everything that you've done wrong, everything that we should have done that we haven't, right? or that, that we shouldn't. Things that we should have done that we didn't do and things that we shouldn't have done that we did do. All of our trespasses. It goes on in verse 14 and it says blotting out the handwriting of ordinances. Right? Blotting out means to um, obliterate. I can't say it. It means to erase, to wipe out, to get rid of, do away with. The handwriting, the, the, <clears throat> where it says the handwriting of ordinances, that means, that literally means a handwritten, personal, um, indicating it's personal. In other words, by one's own hand, written in your own writing, in your own hand. Literally, if you, this Greek phrase here in the original Greek, if you, if you look at it, literally it is, a, it is saying a, hand rec, a handwritten record of debts. That's actually what it's saying here. Right? So in other words, this is like a certificate or an acknowledgement of debt in the handwriting of the debtor. Right? It's like you writing down on a piece of paper saying, this is my debts and listing them out in your own hand, signing your name to it. That's what it's talking about, the handwriting of ordinances here. So that's the what. Right? It's a sin debt written by in our own hand, signed by us, right? 
It's ours. We acknowledge it. Notice the who in this passage of Scripture. Right? This debt of sin written in our own hand, meaning we own it, we did it, that's been nailed to the cross. The who is, is who nailed it there. It was nailed there by God himself. I did not nail my sins to Jesus' cross. I didn't nail them there. I couldn't. I wasn't able. Satan sure didn't do it. That's the last thing that he wanted, I assure you. It was God who did it. God is the one who wrote, the, who nailed them there. As a matter of fact, in verse 12, that's the reason I went back there and read it, Paul called it the operation of God in, in, in Colossians 2.12, right? It was, it was God who nailed them there. You think about all this for a minute. As we go through this passage of Scripture. It was God who raised him from the dead. That's verse 12. It was God who quickened us together with him. That quickened means made alive. Made us alive together with him. That's verse 13. It was God who forgave us all of our trespasses. That is in verse 13 also. It was God who blotted out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us. That's verse 14. And also in verse 14, it was God who took it out of the way. And then verse 15 makes it clear to us it was God who spoiled principalities and powers. And lastly, it was God who made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And did you notice the where? It's the cross. That it's, it's talking about, it's speaking of finality, meaning a final death. It is done. Our handwriting of ordinances was not placed in a safe somewhere. Right? The handwriting of ordinances, that's all the sins that you've ever done. That's the record of them written in your own hand. And God is saying here, what he, when we accept Christ, what happens to that? Right? When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, accept what he has done for you at Calvary's cross, he has given us a picture. They're nailed to the cross. What he is saying is that it's not like they're put away somewhere. It's not like there's a file or a record somewhere. Right? Right? County might have a record of some things that you've done that you might not be too proud of at some point in your past. But whenever God nails them to the cross, there is no record of them any longer. Uh, it's there. He's not going to bring them out. They're not in a safety deposit box in heaven. Uh, God didn't place a, place a list of my sin in his pocket so that he could pull it out whenever he wanted to and remind me of them from time to time. God doesn't do that. It's Satan that does that. Satan is the one that will bring your sins before you and remind you of them. God, whenever he forgives, them whenever they're nailed to the cross it is God our judgment was completed our sin debt was bought and paid for at Calvary's cross that's why they're nailed to the cross they're bought and paid for there that's why John the Baptist when he sees Jesus for the first time there at the Jordan River he says, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. 
He's still there taking away sin. He still desires to take yours away. The question is, are you going to trust him to do that? You're going to have the blind faith like it took for me to drive that nail? <laughs> you're going to trust God? See, you're not trusting me and you're not trusting yourself. That's the difference. Trust God. I don't know where you stand this morning, and I don't know what you've been going through. I don't know what you've been going on in your life. I don't know what kind of garbage the devil has been bringing before you and reminding you of. But if you're saved, right? I'm talking truly saved. Your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You surrendered, given your heart to the Lord, and you're doing everything you can to, to follow him, to be a soldier in his army. Your desire is to serve him. Your sins are gone, forgotten, to be remembered no more, not to be brought up and, and to accuse you with or to remind you of or to use to bring you down or keep you humble. No. Think about that. I said that I couldn't nail my sins to the cross, and you can't nail yours either. That's something that you or I could never do. You know, we can't even really forget about it. But God can. And he has. He's willing. And, and if this is not you, right, if you're still carrying around that burden of sin, and you've not, you've not experienced the forgiveness of God, I'm begging you. Don't, don't wait a moment longer. You might not have tomorrow, next week, next month or years to come. Today might be it. So as I ask you to stand this morning, if you've got a need, if you've got a burden, would you come? If the Spirit of God is dealing with you, would you come? If you realize this morning that you're not where you ought to be, now's the time to come and get things straightened out. Whatever it is, don't miss this opportunity. Would you come this morning? Would you come?